Welcome once again to Cinemaholics. From Kansas City, I'm Abby Olchesi. I'm a freelance writer and film editor for The Pitch Magazine. And from New York, our guest this week, she's a freelance writer with bylines at the LA Times, The Playlist, and Crooked Marquee. And Kimber, feel free to let me know if there are more that I'm not mentioning. It's Kimber Myers. Hey there. No, that is a, a perfect rundown of where I can be found on the internet. Awesome. And uh, the uh, irony and fun this week is that, uh, Kimber, both of the movies that we are discussing, uh, Palmer and The Little Things, are movies that we both reviewed for Crooked Marquee this week. So if you want to find out our further thoughts beyond our discussion this week, you can go to Crooked Marquee and find out in great detail uh, both what we thought of... uh, what I thought of Palmer and what Kimber thought of The Little Things, as well as a really nice essay by uh, Roxana Haddadi about uh, the kind of career trajectory of uh, John Lee Hancock, the writer and director of The Little Things. So if, uh, if January movies are a thing you're really excited about, there's all kinds of cool content over on that website that you can check out. All right. So... Uh, You can find more episodes of Cinemaholics, including our full archive on cinemaholics.com, including written reviews. You can write into the show anytime by emailing us at cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. And you can support us directly by becoming one of our monthly patrons on patreon.com slash cinemaholics. So as you've probably noticed, neither John nor Will are present this week. Both of them are, uh, quote unquote, at Sundance this week, uh, checking out movies and writing up reviews from the online edition of that festival. Uh, I've been seeing some pretty some pretty promising movies in that lineup that I am excited to hear them talk about a little bit more uh, when we get back to our kind of regularly scheduled programming format, uh, I think next weekend. And yeah, digital fests are kind of, um, I don't know, they're, they can be kind of a hodgepodge. Sometimes uh, the experience goes well, sometimes it doesn't. I've been hearing some pretty nice things about the uh, the format that uh, that Sundance has used, it sounds like it's moving pretty smoothly. Kimber, have you had any experience doing online festivals in the last year or so, like pandemic-wise? Yeah, so um, I did actually, I watched my first movie for Sundance last night, um, and their setup, I think, is really, really easy, which was uh, lovely. And then um, last fall, I... Uh, watched some films from uh, the New York Film Festival and then uh, Hamptons, I think, were the the two and maybe Montclair. So I stayed I stayed local, even though I probably could have obviously ventured further afield for some of those. How about you? Yeah, that's great. I've I've done a little bit of uh, online film festing and I will be doing again later this year for uh, South by Southwest. Last year, I think the most experience I had with that was uh, Fantastic, no, no, sorry, not Fantastic Fest, Fantasia. Um, they have such similar names, it could be easy to get them confused. But yeah, I, I did some some viewing and reviewing for uh, Fantasia last fall, uh, which is cool because that's a festival that I've never been able to go to before. Um, the last couple of years, I've gone to Toronto and usually Fantasia falls like right on the heels of that. I think Fantastic Fest does too. And so it can be kind of hard for me because I have a day job to uh, to wrangle that much vacation time. Um, but yeah, this was kind of a nice change. I got to catch up with some really cool indie horror movies. Um, and yeah, I'm hoping that um, that South by's setup is uh, as as seamless and helpful as uh, Sundance's seems to be. What what have you seen for Sundance so far, Kimber? Anything that you can share that's not embargoed? <laughs> yeah. So uh, last night I watched one. 
and I know I'm going to flip the title. It's either uh, Ma Bell, My Beauty, or My Beauty, My Ma Bell, um, which was recommended in um, our Cook and Marquee editor, Jason Bailey. He did a, um, a pre-fest roundup at the New York Times. And this was one that he recommended as, um, if you like um, Call Me By Your Name, this would be a good option. And it's set in the south of France. Uh, the setting is is really, really lovely. Um, and it definitely, like hits at a lot of things that are at least missing in my life right now. Cause I'm not traveling to the South of France and I'm not having lovely lingering dinner parties with people and, and things like that. I didn't love it overall, but that mood, um, really, really got me. <laughs> what have, what have you seen so far that you can talk about? Um, I haven't seen any Sundance films so far, uh, yet. I, I've been busy with a bunch of, uh, a bunch of other projects that have unfortunately kind of overlapped, but, uh, I've been really excited to see some positive reviews for, for stuff that I was looking forward to watching, like Passing. Uh, I saw that that had a, a premiere and got some pretty successful reviews, which is good. I mean, I feel like Rebecca Hall directing that particular movie could feel like a gamble potentially. So it's nice to see that that has, uh, paid off some. Um, I think Mass was another one that I was sort of curious about being a, a pretty big Joss Whedon and Cabin in the Woods fan, seeing uh, Fran Kranz getting to like write and direct a movie and have it be something that I would not have expected this person to make. Um, I've been hearing really great things about that, too. So that's another one that I'm looking forward to seeing soon. Yeah, there's always so much and so much to keep track of. I know I've got um, a couple windows on on Tuesday, including one for a film called Jockey. Um, which stars Clifton Collins Jr. and is, full disclosure, uh, produced by kind of a friend of a friend, Nancy Schaefer. And it just got bought yesterday by uh, Sony Pictures Classic. So um, I'm even more excited. I've heard great things. And I feel like Clifton Collins Jr. is one of those people who I'm always excited to see. Um, and we'll, we'll see. We'll see about this one. I'm definitely intrigued. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've been hearing really good things about that too. And I, I also enjoy watching Clifton Collins Jr. in things and, uh, uh, our, my, my favorite member of the, uh, the vegan police squad, seeing him in a, uh, a lead role, I think sounds, sounds pretty cool. I love it when, uh, <laughs> when a character actor gets to do something that, uh, lets them stretch a little bit. Yeah, it's always great. Awesome. So, uh, I think we don't have a listener voicemail this week, but uh, the, I guess the discussion is kind of ongoing. Uh, John and Will discussed uh, News of the World last week, and the question that they had some responses to was, what is the best Tom Hanks performance? Um, I feel like this is one that we can probably both weigh in on, right? That, that's, uh, he's had such a, a long and great career, and as somebody who enjoyed News of the World, I thought he was very well cast in that. Um, Kimber, do you have any, any uh, thoughts on, on favorite Tom Hanks performances or Tom Hanks overall? Oh, man. Um, so definitely, I thought he was great in News of the World, um, was really, really impressed by that performance. And um, the film in general, I thought was um, was pretty great. I do love him. I mean, he is obviously so great in dramatic roles, but the ones that I really like 
love the most, I think, are the comedic ones, like the bigs. And I love him, seeing him kind of play against type in a league of their own. And um, for any Tom Hanks fans and also just fans of um, great writing, um, and I wish I could remember the name of the piece, but Anne Patchett, who wrote um, Bel Canto and a few other really, a number of other wonderful um both fiction and nonfiction books just published a piece about her friendship with Tom Hanks assistant. Um, that is a real long read, um, but is, um, one of the loveliest, most human things I've, I've read recently. Um, it's definitely like definition of long online read, but like, it's like a good, like half hour or so, but it's a wonderful world to live in. And I highly recommend it. And I wish I could remember the name of it, but if you Google, I imagine Ann Patchett and Tom Hanks, it'll come up real quick. Oh, that sounds great. That sounds like a, like a lovely place to spend a half an hour with, with good writing about an interesting subject. And, uh, I, I hope that that Tom Hanks comes off as nice as he seems. I imagine that it would be kind of a nice gig being being Tom Hanks's assistant, being the assistant to America's dad. <laughs> oh, absolutely. That is one of the nice things is it definitely does not burst that bubble that we all definitely have around is Tom Hanks a good person and it the answer continues to be yes. So, yeah. Oh, thank God you're, for that. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> Good. 20, 2021 continues to to just kind of dance around the edge of, of things that could possibly be bad, but it sounds like this one turns out to be good. So that's nice. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat as you, Kimber. I, I appreciate the uh, the Hank's comedic roles, I think, a little more than the dramatic roles, although he's often done great in just about anything he's in. Um, yeah, personally, I'm I'm a I'm a sucker for uh, for You've Got Mail. I have been since I was a kid and enjoyed watching that in the theater. So I I think that's probably my my personal favorite uh, Tom Hanks performance alongside Woody from Toy Story, obviously, because that was another sort of iconic moment in my own childhood. So that's <laughs> those are my those are my Hanks highlights. So good. Can't go wrong with either of those. Absolutely. Um, as And before we kind of get into our, our main reviews, I, I feel like we have a little bit of space to kind of pump up anything we've been watching lately that we've really enjoyed. I know John and Will talked a little bit about in and of itself as a featured review last week. And that's uh, that's one that I did get to catch up on um, just before its, uh, its release and one that I, I really enjoyed. I think it's it can be kind of hard to uh, to capture the uh, the energy and uh, power of of a live performance, especially one like in and of itself, which has such interesting idiosyncrasies. But I feel like uh, Frank Oz uh, does a really great job of of capturing what makes Derek Delgadio's show so uh, so powerful and interesting. Which of course is appropriate because I think he actually directed the stage show. So it's it's nice that so many of the uh, the people who actually put that thing together are involved in the uh, the filmed version of it. And I, I appreciate the fact that it, it really feels uh, emotionally powerful, but also like, like a truly magical experience that leaves you with a lot of questions. And I feel like it's best not to answer those questions and to just kind of go into it and straight up enjoy the fact that you're being kind of emotionally uh, broken down, but also just sort of astounded at the, uh, at the things that you're encountering. So I'm glad they got to talk about that. I, haven't heard their full review of that yet, but I am looking forward to hearing more of it. Uh, Kimber, has there been anything else that's kind of been popping up on your on your radar lately? I know it's January, so it's a little bit of a 
a little bit of a downtime for movies, but occasionally stuff squeaks through that is notable or like stuff that we didn't get to catch up with in December that we're finally getting around to. Yeah, so I um, I saw Some Kind of Heaven, which I think was reviewed on here um, a few weeks ago. Um, if anyone missed that, it's a doc about this giant uh, retirement community in Florida from a first-time director. I think his name is Lance Oppenheimer. And it is both like beautifully shot and constructed as well as um, I just really appreci- appreciated the director's approach. I thought it was smart and really gave a lot of insight into this world that for many of of us is is a foreign thing so i thought that was great um less good but still like the perfect kind of comfort food uh for kind of like a cozy january or i guess now when you'll be listening to this february uh was a british film called love sarah um that is i i don't want to like give it a full-throated uh this is a great movie endorsement um there's in fact one moment that made me roll my eyes uh to the like degree of worrying that I'd sprain something, but um, it's a like a delightful British comedy set in an upstart bakery, and it's just um, very like no pun intended sweet, um, but is definitely like a nice like cozy cozy watch um, where if you go into it with low expectations, hopefully you'll come out of it. Um, having enjoyed it, but definitely don't watch it without, um, like a stash of desserts, particularly baked goods around you, because that's, it really does that well. There's some really beautiful, uh, culinary creations in there that just had me salivating. So that's kind of a like low key. If you like, like a British, like a cozy British comedy, this is, this is up your alley. Oh, excellent. That's uh we're we're kind of getting into uh prime for me at least, uh masterpiece theater territory where like it's it's sort of cold and miserable outside and I want to spend time in a world that is not wildly challenging but like kind of kind of fun, occasionally exciting, allows me to kind of knit while I watch TV like an old grandma. So like that sounds like it might just fit the bill. Yeah, it's it's delightful. I've I have few complaints. <laughs> That's good. Few few complaints is I think a pretty decent a decent review. That's that's enough I think to have a to have a, a solid recommendation if you're if you're looking for something to stream. Good. So let's uh, let's move on into our kind of featured reviews for the week. Uh, the first of which will be um, the Little Things, and this is the uh, John Lee Hancock written and directed uh, crime thriller starring Denzel Washington and Rami Malek and. Uh, Jared Leto. Uh, and Kimber, since you had the full review write-up of this on Crooked Marquee, how about you tell us a little bit about the plot and some of your initial thoughts on the film? Yeah, so it is set in, for some reason, specifically October 1990. And um, Denzel Washington plays Deacon, who is a kind of disgraced former L.A. detective who has been, um, I guess, banished to Bakersfield, where he's doing very, like, low-key uh, police work where um, we're introduced to him, like, in a um, kind of quirky, he's investigating repeated vandalism, which if you decide to watch it, I won't spoil that slight moment of giggles, but um, which is one of the few lighter spots for me, at least in the movie. Um but he is out in Bakersfield uh, doing 
this uh, very low-level police work, but he is sent back to LA to pick up some evidence from one of their cases. And while there, he gets pulled into a serial murder case that reminds him of his last case before he left uh, Los Angeles. And Rami Malek plays Jim Baxter, who is the kind of like hot shot detective who's on the upswing of his career and he is investigating uh, this series of murders and Jared Leto is a I feel like it's not too much of a uh, spoiler to say that he is a suspect Um, even if you just see a picture of him you're like yeah that guy that guy looks like a serial killer Um, yeah so and the actual crimes it's in both sets of murders it's uh, women um, and it is, um, I think in both, ca- both cases, it is either sex workers or women who are kind of like on the, the margins. And um, it's, it's a bit darker than John Lee Hancock usually goes. Um, the director, I think, is normally known for kind of like middle of the road, like charming-ish dramas from like Saving Mr. Banks and The Rookie, um, things like that that are more like... Um, kind of standard, like nice Hollywood fare. And this is quite a bit grimmer, um, both in its tone as well as in its subject matter. Um, yeah, that's kind of my, my quick rundown. I did not love it, <laughs> to put it mildly. Um, I know it's something to it. I think it's interesting to note that this was a movie that John Lee Hancock wrote back in the 90s, which explains its setting in the 90s, um, at least partially, and um, before he was directing, but instead was um, doing screenplays, including for people like Clint Eastwood, who was initially thinking about directing it as was Steven Spielberg, who I think Spielberg decided that it was too dark. Um, but so it sat for decades until, till now. And I think one of my, I had many problems with this movie, but one of the things is that it doesn't actually, it's not evident that it's set in 1990 by anything other than like, there are no cell phones and all the cars look like they were when I was a kid. Like <laughs> that's, there's not, I think a lot of great period detail there, but um yeah, what did what did you think? <laughs> I'm yeah, I'm I'm in kind of a, a similar boat, I think, to you, Kimber. It's I actually it's interesting to hear that uh, that Eastwood considered directing this at one point. I feel like it would have made a really good Clint Eastwood movie potentially. Um, like there's the that kind of atmosphere is is the kind of thing that he tends to do pretty well with as like one of maybe a handful of people who kind of legitimately enjoys the Changeling. I feel like there's uh, there's some sort of uh, atmospheric similarities there in terms of the kind of stark um darkness that uh, that is pervasive throughout this um and i i also uh enjoy the idea of it being kind of a throwback to uh, a period when like darker crime dramas were sort of a thing that people made and watched a lot like usually kind of mid-budgeted uh kind of big uh scary crime dramas that had uh, had a little bit like often actually starred either Denzel Washington or Morgan Freeman, funnily enough. Um, and and really, I, I enjoyed those when they were when they were a thing. And it's kind of fun to have something that reminds me of of movies that I did enjoy when I was, you know, somewhat younger, like getting into like high school and college um, and like stuff that I remember being on basic cable a lot. But uh, I feel like the execution of this really is not up to the uh, 
the standard of uh, of those films, which, to be fair, is not a very high standard. I don't think that it actually takes that much to make uh, make a, a twisty crime thriller that's that effective. No. Um, yeah, it, this definitely like it, I think, was helpful to know that it was written before like a seven <laughs> because it feels like it borrows from seven a bit, especially um, in, in particular scenes. And there's um, definitely some, it feels like it's borrowing from silence of the lambs, which did I think come out before this was written, but it just, it feels like a retread when it predated some of the films that it's, it seems like it could be copying. Um, but yeah, and I don't think it, it doesn't seem like the script was updated at all between um, when it was written in the 90s and now to kind of either reflect how the genre um, has changed or even to like fully lean into, oh, we're going to make this a 90s crime thriller. It just, it felt very generic to me in in a lot of ways and was not, was not interesting beyond, I think beyond just uh, Denzel Washington's performance, which I think is very good. But I mean, he's he's generally very good. Yeah, and uh, I think it's g- generic and also confusing. Oddly, um, like there's there's an interesting kind of ongoing relationship between uh, Denzel Washington's character uh, Joe Deacon and uh, Jim, the character played by Rami Malek, where there's there's sort of a, a similar level of um, like early talent from what we know of, of Denzel Washington's character's uh, history with the, the LAPD uh, coupled with a really strong potential for, uh, for obsession and watching them play off each other has moments of interest, but it really becomes, I think, especially in the third act, really confusing as to um, who the actual perpetrator of these crimes is. Uh, I know Leto is sort of, he's posited as, as, as the main suspect, um, but there's like, there's some kind of final act stuff that, that muddies those waters a bit in a way that I thought was kind of interesting and could have been potentially threaded out a bit more through the script to make it evident that that's a way that it could have gone. Um, and there's, I don't know, there's, there's, there's some potential for some interesting kind of cat and mouse stuff between, uh, between Leto and the, and, and, Washington and Malik, which is there, but also between uh, between Washington and Malik, which is sort of maybe hinted at and kind of revealed in a way that I found kind of fascinating in like the last shots and wondering where was that movie the entire time that could have been really cool. But instead, you're just sort of left with two hours plus of not really being sure why these characters are doing some of the things that they're doing or why they're actually that committed to each other. Yeah, I think that there's a lot that's missing here. And I am I think I wrote about in my review, I'm not sure whether it was not developed in the script or if it was left on the cutting room floor during editing. But there's like small things feel like they're glossed over and not explained as well as like these larger relationship questions that I, I think really would have made for a better film. And I, I agree. I think that 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 final bit works. But by that bit, I was just, I was, I mean, the movie was done, but I was also just done. Like, <laughs> I found it yeah. not a fun experience. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, that's and as as we get into our final thoughts, I'm I'm kind of in the I I yeah I I felt that very similarly too. There was a, a point toward the end where um, I think it had been a long week and I was I was kind of tired anyway, but I was just sort of struggling to stick with it and being like, man, this movie's going to end soon. I know it's going to end soon, and I can like I can stop it and I can go to bed. Um, and I mean, I I don't usually feel that way about movies that are you know that are that like. When a movie commands my attention, that is not a problem that I have. So I feel like that's kind of evident of, of the kind of thing that we're we're dealing with here. Um, I also, in 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 Malik's case, I think he's an odd choice to play the character that he is that he is playing here. He's supposed to be kind of a straight laced family man, and Rami Malik is nothing if not squirrely. And so I, I have a really hard time believing him as sort of a a, a straight laced character. And watching him kind of unravel when you're presented with somebody who looks like they are in the process of an unraveling all of the time. Um, I feel like that's that's an odd choice that doesn't necessarily work for me. I feel like there are moments when it kind of does, but it's it's a weird one to get a handle on. Um, so, yeah, overall, I'm I'm not super hot on this movie either. Uh, I would probably give it like a like a C minus area maybe or, or D plus Uh, it's, there are some parts of it that I think show some potential. um, But I feel like those elements are not necessarily worth the, uh, the slog that it takes to get there. How about you, Kimber? Yeah, I think D plus is what I gave it for Crooked Marquee. And it does absolutely feel like a slog. It's longer than two hours um, while still not being as developed as it might be. (laughs) So I think it feels even longer than that. Um, And yeah, I agree with the casting of Rami Malek being not maybe the best choice as someone who really likes him and in other roles and has found him incredibly talented. But yeah, that, that squirrely quality that he can't shake here does not work. (laughs) It, I I think it it actually does the exact opposite if they want what they want to do. It's not, he's squirrely at points in the film where he really shouldn't be yet. Um, And it, I think, really undercuts uh, the larger efforts that they're making. And I, Jared Leto is someone that I used to really love because I, you know, as a 90s girl, but um, is someone that I've liked less, especially as I hear about like his onset shenanigans. um, Same. Yeah. 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 And um, although I did hear that in some interview somebody asked Denzel Washington if he tried that with him and he's like no (laughs) so which I kind of appreciate that he at least knows when to cut it out but um but yeah I I also didn't really like Jared Leto here even though I feel like the casting would fit and he is definitely there's a real like ickiness to his character but it felt it felt very labored to me um in a way that I don't want that to um, to come across. So yeah, I would. I think I would settle on a D plus. I think too the the other thing that is important to talk about is how this movie treats women. Um, I think that you could make so there are a few kind of side characters that are women in the film. There's um, a a coroner who's a woman. And then one of the other detectives is a woman. And, but most of the prominent women within the film are the victims who are seen dead, seen mutilated, seen naked. Um, And 
the as a minor spoiler like the the only woman really active in or one of the two women active in the case makes a really big screw up um and i don't feel like there was any sort of thinking from John Lee Hancock around this or any of the other creative members of the team. It doesn't seem to be commenting on the lack of women or the place of women in this sort of world. And instead it just is this forgotten thing. And they're like, whoops, accidentally all of our women in this movie are either dead or screwing up. So yeah, and that's I think something that sort of speaks to your your earlier comment about the fact that uh, it feels odd that the script hasn't been really updated in any way to uh, to kind of uh, take into account like you know changing changing attitudes or changing stuff within that genre. So yeah, you're you're left with some like some weird victimization and occasional like kind of out and out Aaron Sorkin style goofballs where yeah the the women who are in some kind of position of like you know, skilled ability or, or power of some kind, um, yeah, are just there to either compromise that position to men who need them to do something for them or, uh, yeah, just make, make an, an utter gaff of the, uh, the, the responsibility that they're given. So, yeah, I think we're sort of on the same page. Uh, I am, yeah, C, C minus D plus territory. Uh, Kimber is, solidly D plus on this. Uh, if you do want to watch the little things, it is currently streaming on HBO max as part of their deal with Warner brothers, where films are getting released simultaneously to theaters and on the streaming platform. Um, so that is available currently if that's where you go to get your movies. Um, our next review is uh, a movie that is streaming on Apple TV Plus currently. Uh, it is the Fisher Stevens directed J Justin Timberlake starring uh, Palmer, which is a domestic kind of, uh, I guess, I guess socially, you could say socially conscious, socially conscious domestic drama uh, set in rural Louisiana. Uh, Justin Timberlake plays the uh, titular Eddie Palmer who has recently been released from uh, from jail uh, after a 12-month stint for attempted murder. Uh, he comes back to his hometown to live with his grandmother, played by June Squibb, um, and she has uh, a couple of neighbors who live in a trailer next door. Uh, there's a single mother, uh, played by Juno Temple, and... Uh, so she has a couple of neighbors who live in a trailer next door. There's a single mother who is played by Juno Temple. Her name is Shelly. And Shelly has a young son named Sam, uh, played by writer Alan, who is uh, elementary school aged. And uh, Sam is, uh, he, he displays a lot of evidence of being genderqueer. He, he, uh, he wears, like, enjoys wearing dresses, likes watching uh, girls' TV shows and, and playing with dolls. Um, something that is completely foreign to, to Palmer and, and something that he, he doesn't really know how to deal with. Um, but he has to because eventually, uh, Shelly disappears and, uh, Sam kind of comes to, to live with, with, uh, Palmer and his grandmother Vivian for a little while while his, his mom is AWOL, which apparently is not an uncommon thing. It happens a lot. Um, so in there, in, in Sam's living with, uh, with Palmer and Vivian, he, uh, uh, Palmer, Justin Timberlake's character kind of comes to form a bond with Sam and become kind of protective over him. And, um, 
in the in the middle of that is is trying to trying to kind of help Sam operate in the world and also his worldview toward his understanding of Sam and um, and loving him and accepting who he is 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 changing as well uh, in addition to kind of building relationships with people around him um, including Sam's teacher Maggie played by Alicia Wainwright um, so yeah that's that's kind of the the plot that we're dealing with with Palmer um, I think it's this is a movie that I thought was fine um it's not it's definitely uh i i enjoyed it better than the little things say um there are parts of it that i think work better than others i think the relationship between uh between timberlake and uh writer allen is is really really sweet i think they do have some genuine chemistry there uh but kimber I'm, i'm curious to hear what you thought of it what are your initial thoughts on this yeah i'm maybe a little bit warmer on it than you are but i I do agree that the best parts are the interaction between Timberlake and Ryder Allen. Um, I think I kind of go back and forth on Justin Timberlake as an actor. I think there are some really nice, just small, like almost like fractions of a second moments where he is perfect here. Like there's just like a look or a movement that I think works so well. Um, and they are just, they're really great together. And writer Allen is adorable. <laughs> like, he's so cute in this. <laughs> it's very, it's a very winning performance and he's just, it's very sweet and guileless. And, um, yeah, I really, really like that bit. I, there are definitely things that, that bother me here. And I do think that this is not the most uh, original of films, although I think it does take a slightly different slant on the tropes that we've seen previously. Um, but yeah, I thought that it was, um, I thought it was very watchable and yeah, it might've been coming off of the little things, which was just so grim and poorly made where I was presented with something that is like, I think capably fashioned in, in a lot of ways, but, but also just like, so well-intentioned and and earnest in a way that managed not to grate. Yeah, I, I would agree that uh, what well-intentioned I think is a good way to, uh, to, de- to describe Palmer. I feel like those, the, it's heart is definitely in the right place. I don't think it really takes many huge missteps in its, uh, in its representation of, of Sam and his, his gender queer identity. I feel like it's very, um, open and loving and accepting. And I think it's, it's important to note that, that Sam doesn't need to change for anybody. It is Palmer, in fact, who changes, which is great. Um, that's, that's exactly what that narrative should be. Um, I think there are some elements of it that work a little less well for me. I think Timberlake is, is really solid as, uh, as sort of a, a small town guy who's trying to rebuild his reputation, but, you know, is in a small town where everybody knows who he is and what his past is and he can't really escape it. Um, He's, I think he's, he's really good in that role. Um, and I, I feel like we don't really see Justin Timberlake in, in roles like this all that often, but he's pretty good in it. I would be, I would be fine with seeing him do more stuff like this. Um, I think, yeah, it's, he's, he's good in it. Uh, June Squibb is good in it, although I don't think she's in it enough necessarily. Um, the, the issues that I kind of have with it come with its, uh, it, it's sort of turn that it takes into uh, kind of guardianship and uh, like social services territory. Uh, I think Juno Temple's character, Shelley, is uh, 
she's she's portrayed as like exactly the kind of character that you would expect i think in a movie like this her her performance is very one note very screamy uh very loud and brash and uh it i i feel like not to say that she nece- that this character necessarily deserves a ton of charity, but I feel like she deserves a little more than she gets here. Uh, I feel like that that part of the plot kind of gets a little bit, um, a little bit treacly and uh, and cliched. But uh, I mean, fortunately, that's just one part of the movie, and I think the other parts that are there work work just fine. It's not necessarily a, a wildly creative take on on the story, but I think it's like you said, Kimber. I feel like its heart is in the right place, and uh, like for folks who are looking for something that is a little more um, familiar with notes that they can kind of recognize. I feel like the, the, uh, the genderqueer element of this is enough of a difference for that, that it could be kind of construed as like a potentially eye-opening moment for, for some viewers, which is, I mean, I feel like that's great. I'm all for that. Yeah. Like it's something that I would love to recommend to my parents if they can uh, ever get their, Apple TV plus figured out, (laughs) but, um, yeah, I think that they, there's, there's something here that is progressive while not being threatening. Um, and I think especially with the potential audience that it has, I, I think that there is, is some power there. Um, and I agree. I was not won over by, um, Juno Temple's performance. And normally I think she's great, especially having just, finished um ted lasso where she is one of the best parts of a a great great cast um i also like you took some issue with some of the like social services and guardianship questions and um there's i think some stuff that is not entirely believable around uh the relationship between um, Palmer and Miss Maddie, the, the teacher. Um, although I did really like Alicia Wainwright in the role, I thought she was great. Um, but yeah, there's definitely a lot of stuff here that contributes to the film as being like fine to like, all right, but not again, not a a full throated recommendation, but, but certainly better than, than the other film we're talking about here. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I'd, I'd say, yeah, if we as we get into kind of final thoughts, I when I wrote this up on Crooked Marquee, I was uh, a C plus. I'd say like I'm, I'm in within that range, kind of a high C plus, low B minus on this. Uh, it's 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 pretty much middle of the road. But yeah, if you're if you're looking for kind of a meat and potatoes flick or if you yeah like are looking to recommend something with a slightly more progressive bent to folks who might not otherwise be looking for that kind of content, I feel like. This is this is something that won't necessarily wildly offend people and might potentially kind of worm its way into their into their hearts a little bit, which if that's the case, that's fine. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you on the uh, the relationship between uh, Palmer and and Miss Maggie that it's it's not I feel like she could do a lot better than him, <laughs> which is not to be mean to Palmer, but <laughs> it's just the woman's got an education degree and like she's clearly pretty enlightened and intelligent living in a town that doesn't appreciate those things. And I, I just, there are parts of it where I was just like, I understand what you're trying to do, but girl, get away, run, run far. (laughs) Um, yeah, yeah, I'm like the fact too, that like, there doesn't seem to be much attention paid to the fact, like, I don't know 
the particular rules of their school district, but I'm betting that it is frowned upon for a teacher to be in a romantic relationship with a child's guardian. And that's like, there's not much attention paid to that. Like it's kind of glossed over and like, I know that they can't address everything in a film that's an hour and 50 minutes, but it just, it, it did not feel necessary to me. I appreciated that having this relationship for Palmer was important and kind of getting back into who he was. But um, I don't think that she was necessarily the, the right person for that. Um, the other thing though, that I really did like about Timberlake's performance is I feel like he's usually like a bigger character who talks a lot and like thinking about like other roles that he's played. And this is largely it's a much quieter role. There's less dialogue. A lot of what he does is nonverbal, which he's not an actor before this, where I would have said that that was one of his strengths, but I was, I was impressed. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. He's, he, he's pretty stoic through a lot of this and uh, yeah, that's, that's something that's kind of new territory for him. And I feel like that could be an interesting way to see him grow as a performer. Do you have any, any thoughts on kind of letter grade range for this? What would you give it? I'd give it, I feel like, um, a B. Like, I, I think I'd bump it up from a, a B minus just based on a, a few things. But I, I did, overall, I left it um, feeling good both about, like, what the film was trying to say, but also I wasn't miserable watching it, which is not clearly not always what what happens, though. So. For sure. Yeah, this is I I would agree. Yeah, not not miserable. I I, I left it feeling more heartwarmed than anything else. So yeah. yeah, so that's a kind of B minus ish C plus for me, a solid B for Kimber. And if you want to check out Palmer, you can find it streaming on Apple TV plus. So uh, that is going to do it for us. Uh, those are the the reviews that we we wanted to wanted to cover this week, and so you can join uh, John and Will and I next week for uh, the uh, the full gamut of, uh, of reviews, Sundance thoughts, and everything else. Uh, and if you would like, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or Stitcher. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter, or if you would like to get in touch with us and leave a comment, you can email us at cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. Um, Kimber, thank you so much for for joining uh, joining me this week. It's been fun to kind of get to actually interact in real time with somebody <laughs> whose work I've enjoyed reading and, and interacting with on, in other areas. So this was super fun. Oh, thank you. Right back at you. It was it was lovely to meet you and uh, to put a, a voice with uh, with the words. All right. So from uh, the internet, Kansas City, I am Abby Olchesi. And, and from- <laughs> go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. And from the internet, New York, I'm Kimber Myers. Thanks for joining us. We will see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>